Hello everyone, welcome back to Vanessa on Films, the podcast where we discuss news. Yeah, uh, TV and film news. I don't know how my intro goes, and I think we just have to accept the fact that we never will have the same intro. I guess that is part of the aesthetic of this podcast. Okay, so this is episode 10, and I was going to make a joke about how um, we currently have more episodes than most TV shows do nowadays, um, because it's true, um, so it wouldn't have been really a joke. But anyways, yeah, episode 10. Um, if you're new here, welcome. If you've been listening previously, thank you. Yeah, feel free to subscribe, follow. Um, I guess it depends what streaming service you're listening to on it might be a follower subscription whatever but just do that send an episode to a friend if you feel like it i don't really care to be honest um (laughs) but anyways i'm just doing this because i like uh, sharing news and helping people get more into film and tv because um i just really love the art forms and i want them to you know um have strong followings these projects that i'm speaking of um so Yeah, I just like sharing news and uh, helping people who don't really know a lot about the industry to, like, learn more about it and learn more about the projects that they may have, you know, missed out on. But also, um, for those that do know about these, like, projects, um, yeah, that are familiar with, like, the news that I'm sharing, at least, like, hearing my opinion and maybe learning something along the way, too, for sure. Definitely something that's really, really important to me. Um, yeah, so let's just get right into it. I I was supposed to have, um, our award-winning guest who, uh, produced the award-winning film Phantom Thread. Uh, yeah, he was supposed to be on this episode. Um, Juan, uh, you may know him. I think he was, he's been on, like, three-ish, three, four, three, I think three episodes. Three-ish, yeah, three episodes. So he was supposed to be on, on this, this episode that I'm recording right now, but, um, plans and times have changed uh so yeah he couldn't be on this episode um but when i have him on the show and again if you feel like being a guest on this show you can just contact me on my social medias you can follow me on letterbox twitter and instagram at vanessa on films easy enough to remember yeah so if you feel like um, being a guest on the show, you can DM me on either Instagram or Twitter. I'm not calling it X, it's Twitter. Uh, so yeah, uh, just contact me. Um, yeah, I, I, what was I saying? Yeah, so usually when I have him on as a guest, we start out with a question. Um, I remember, I don't really remember, oh, yeah, the last time he was on, which I think was last week, we spoke about critical thinking and I guess it's connection to Oppenheimer and just like the conversations that are surrounding that film. But I actually wrote a question in the notes for this week because uh, I've been thinking a lot about, I've been thinking a lot about streaming services and how I don't really understand how they make money. Like, yes, there's the sub- subscription of it all and, um, you know, they get money from that, but I, I, I've been thinking and I'm like, where, where does the hundred million dollar budget come from? I think, um, for example, Noah Baumbach is like my favorite director. I think I can confidently say that now, but I was thinking about White Noise and how that was an adaptation of a classic novel, classic American novel, novel at least. And, um, yeah, I, I, I understand that a lot of people 
were wondering, you know, like how he would adapt that. Um, <laughs> I, I had a English professor who actually uh, was speaking about the adaptation once, and he was talking about how um, one of the best scenes in, in the book, I guess I could call it a scene, I don't really, yeah, the, one of the best like parts of the book wasn't included in the movie, and he's like, well, there's that, and also how White Noise is a really, really hard novel to adapt into a film, and yeah, he still did it, but um, yeah, whatever point is is that i was thinking about white noise and how i think it had a budget of 80 to 100 million and yeah that's just insane considering i mean like all things considered i mean i understand why it has a heftier budget but not really like i i also don't think movies should cost more than 50 million dollars to make that's just me um but yeah um whatever it had a huge budget and they gave Noah bomb back that budget and said go crazy and so i was just thinking like how do they find if something like white noise which isn't necessarily an action film you know like it, I, like i don't understand where they're finding all this money to create these films again i understand that it is subscription based but like, I, it just isn't clicking. And I know it's because I don't necessarily know a lot about the industry and how it works, but to me, it just does not make sense. And, you know, I was thinking of movies, like, I think the reason I started thinking of this actually is, yes, the white noise, like, conversation that I just had, but I also saw that there's a new Gal Gadot film on Netflix called Heart of Stone, uh, whatever she's like an agent or I don't I don't know I'm not watching it but the point is is that I know it has a huge budget it is like a big I guess we could call it blockbuster action movie and I just don't like I it's not clicking for me like where they're getting this money from I know that had a huge budget um it has like a huge like I mean like for what it's worth like you can not like her acting that's fine but she is still a pretty big star um on top of that uh i was thinking of movies like red notice which has three of the most expensive movie stars you can have in your film so dwayne johnson ryan reynolds and then gal Gadot as well that had a huge budget and they're always saying that these movies whether it be heart of stone or like red notice have yeah, they're always, like, the number one movie in the world, four billion people tuned- I'm making that number up, but it's, like, four billion people tuned into them, and it's, like, one of the biggest movies in the history of Netflix. To me, that is just a lie. Like, I think everyone with, like, critical thinking skills, speaking of critical thinking skills, knows that that is a lie, because there is no way that that many people are tuning into these movies. One, because I know- because no one is talking about it on social media. I, I I understand there's, like, layers to that. Like, I know, like, Yellowstone is one of the biggest shows ever. <laughs> or, like, at least that's on right now. And I, I'm not running into it a lot on social media. That's because, like, demographic. But when you have something like Red Notice with those three stars that are huge. And straight up like no one is talking about it and or the at least the only things that i'm seeing people talk about is how bad it is or how bad it looks 
and again that plays also into the budget like you have a hundred million dollar movie and it looks like shit like what are you doing with that money um so i was just thinking about how much netflix lies regarding um the the viewership and even like maybe like the budget like maybe they are inflating this and saying oh yeah it has a hundred million dollars but if anything i think they're just like i guess downgrading or lessening the amount of money that it actually took to make these movies so my opening question if we were if i was gonna like create this episode with juan um it would have been is netflix a money laundering scheme question mark and then it was discussed period um and i kind of just went through that already so i don't necessarily know if i have anything to add it just doesn't make sense to me i don't know where they're getting this money from i don't know how they're paying these like huge actors Honestly, like, I don't, I don't mind Netflix when it gives money to, like, auteurs. Like, for example, again, like, Noah Baumbach, like, being able to create Marriage Story, which is, like, one of his best films. And also, White Noise, which, um, <laughs> I, I guess you could hear from that, um, that, like, it wasn't one of my favorite Baumbach movies. Like, I just, it, it, it let's just say the pacing was an issue um if if Juan was here we would have had a conversation about white noise as well because I don't think he liked that movie at all um for me I think I still enjoyed it because it kind of did feel like um it, it still felt Noah-y no Noah -y. yeah Noah-y we could call it that it still felt like one of his movies um I'm also a huge Greta Gerwig fan um you probably guessed that if you've been listening to this podcast, you probably know that, but, um, I'm also, like, besides her, like, writing and directing, honestly, I think she's, like, yeah, like, top five favorite actors for me as well. Um, I just, like, really, really love her acting, and, um, yeah, so all that being said, like, I still enjoyed it, but, yeah, I, I don't know, I've just been thinking of, like, um, how they do give money to our tours a lot, a lot of the times, like, studios, when it comes to theatrical releases, they aren't as, I guess, willing. Um, so, yeah, they gave Noah Baumbach money. Um, they gave uh, Martin Scorsese money to make The Irishman, which is, like, kind of... Honestly, I think of it as an epic just because of, like... I'm sure it was expensive to make, but also um, it was just really a really, really long film. And, obviously, it probably took a lot longer to shoot due to its runtime. What else? Um, there's another movie. Okay, yeah, even, like, David Fincher. The Killer is gonna be on, um, Netflix in a couple of months, um, but they also gave him money for Make, which I... I also... That's kind of how I feel about, like, White Noise. Um, I think the performances were really good. Um... Sorry, I just, I'm, like, thinking, I'm, like, what what positive things can I say about the movie? Like, let's put it this way. I know this is a very, like, trite and, like, not necessarily good way to look at film criticism, but I, my Letterboxd review, I think I gave it, like, a three out of five, which isn't, I feel like anything three and above is, like, okay, we have a good film here, but it's, like, again, I think the runtime and the pacing were issues for me. I really, really love the black and white, um... And I think, like, it still felt like a Fincher for me. Um, I, I liked his directing. It's just... I I don't know. I guess I just prefer his thrillers. I'm a Fincher girl, like, through and through. But 
yeah, that's just like one things that I, that I've been like thinking about. Um, so I think it's cool that they do give money. Um, Netflix, Netflix. Sorry, David Fincher actually spoke about how Netflix, um, kind of like takes the pressure off of him as a, I guess, filmmaker regarding like the box office, like first weekend. Um, how that is very crucial to like gauging if people studios i should say are going to give you money for like uh another film in the future and so without that there's a lot of like yeah i guess there's like room to like not necessarily care i shouldn't say not necessarily care but not necessarily be worried about viewership and how much people tune in also like netflix lies about that stuff all the time as i've just discussed so yeah i i do appreciate them giving money to you know like the the tours that we have but also um i just don't know where they're getting this money from um sponsor sponsorships maybe i don't know like even like a episode of stranger things costs millions okay i don't know if that's true but i'm it probably does. Like, I just don't, I don't understand why everything needs to be so expensive regarding, like, filmmaking. So, um, yeah, that was the question we were going to open with. I, I don't think, I'm just joking with the whole, like, money laundering scheme, like, uh, title or, like, or, like, uh, label, but I just don't understand where they get this money from, and we really, there needs to be, like, an investigation. Because I feel like there's something illegal going on not maybe not illegal let's just say sketchy um but yeah anyways i'm gonna start out with uh the news i'm really really what am i i'm i'm excited to share this news um just because yeah uh there's a lot going on and yeah let's get started i have another question actually no i don't i was gonna say something like do you like taylor swift um but anyways uh, yeah so there's been a lot of like discussion regarding like her foray into filmmaking so i think it has been confirmed that she does want to create like a feature film um and yeah so rodrigo prieto he is a cinematographer um he's worked with taylor before on i think the man willow and cardigan um maybe other things as well but i know those three for sure and yeah so i'm gonna read a quote um it was kind of in like this interview that he did he he spoke about taylor so i'm gonna read the quote he said she's an excellent director and a little while later he says she understands cinema and storytelling she understands how to tell the story with a camera and she's great with the technical aspects as well so yeah he was just like praising her but also he also spoke about sorry i said also twice he also spoke about how he's been in contact with taylor because um yeah, they've worked together. Um, I don't want to say they're friends, but they are, like, work friends. I don't know. They work together. I don't know if they're, like, actual relationship. But anyways, so he's been in contact with Taylor regarding her um, upcoming feature directorial debut. So, again, yeah, she does plan on directing a movie in the future. And I think when it comes to anything Taylor Swift related, there's going to be people who have no idea what they're talking about, like, just jumping in and, like, judging her. Um, but I, I really, I don't know. I, there's, there's a lot like that I actually want to talk about regarding this piece of news. So one, um, Taylor actually does have like a foundation when it comes to filmmaking. And what I mean by that is like, she, she, she knows storytelling and she knows film and like how those things come together. One, uh, I think it's arguable, 
like I think you can argue that she is one of the best songwriters that has ever worked in in music honestly especially when it comes to something like folklore evermore um those kinds of those kinds of albums I think people understand what I'm saying the more like the more um written or like I don't I think all of her albums are really, really, like, writing-focused, but those ones especially, I think, are just, like, taking it to a new level. And with Folklore, she spoke about how, um, I guess, I guess there's kind of this, this, like, fairy fantasy nature to it, um, woodsy. (laughs) I don't know, I don't know, but, um, there, there has been a lot of people talking about how they can see um, a lot of, like, horror elements in it, um, a lot of, like, ghost elements in it, and, yeah, she actually spoke about how, uh, Grandma Del Toro's films actually influenced her in the writing process of this album, and I think Folklore has been considered for a couple of years now, like, I mean, I don't want to sound hyperbolic here, but it does, it has, it is, like, one of the most critically successful albums of all time. Also, like, financially, I guess. Like, it's always charting and people are always using the songs. And what I've noticed when it comes to, like, edits is that people use a lot of the songs off of this album um, in, like, fan edits because of the storytelling nature of it. So, knowing that she is inspired by Del Toro is really, really cool. Um, above all else, yeah, she she spoke about, I guess, how, like, film influences her writing, which is really cool. Um, I like when um, songwriters can be inspired by other types of writing, so screenplays, film, etc. And I know she also spoke about how when writing 1989, that was more of a, I don't, I don't want to say, like, poppy but it is more of a pop album but it still has the strong writing connected to it that a lot of the times pop songs lack but with with 1989 she was also inspired by the John Hughes movies and yeah um taking that like the the growing up of it all and putting it into these like and the relationships that are, like, featured in those films and, like, uh, being inspired by, um, those films to write this album is also really cool. Yeah, so she did the, the In Conversation with at TIFF last year. That was actually nuts. Um, trying to get tickets to that probably was insane. Um, but, yeah, she spoke a lot about her influences with film. And if you watch that, like, I'm pretty sure it's online somewhere. She's really, really connected to film like she knows film and I think it's because of her storytelling abilities and yeah I I don't I think the all too well like music video I'm gonna call it a music video sorry um was really well directed um and like knowing that she's like good with the techno aspects of film is really cool as well I I guess I should probably mention that um (laughs) I it was interesting because I think something like film updates or some one of those like Twitter accounts tweeted about how uh, Rodrigo was speaking of uh, Taylor Swift and how 
you know, he's like saying she's a really good director. She knows how to um, tell a story through the camera, which is arguably what cinema is, right? But I think what was interesting is that a lot of people who don't like Taylor for whatever reason, they're just like bitter or whatever, uh, were like quoting it and were like, or like replying to the tweets or like talking about it in general and were like, oh, he's lying. Um, she's just paying him to work on her projects. That's why he's like talking, um, well, like talking nicely or whatever about her and hyping her up or she, or they're like, actually with like you know the finger up emoji and the nerd glasses they're like actually she's not a good director and then i like just randomly like quote tweeted the the film updates tweet and i'm like this is really funny because everyone all of a sudden knows better than an award-winning cinematographer i'm paraphrasing what i tweeted um and you know the swifties had my back (laughs) uh if no one got me i know swifties got me so basically um i just like tweeted it and yeah it was fun to see i guess the conversations that were happening in my replies i don't really reply to people on twitter unless you're like unusual but um yeah they were just like talking about how no matter what happens with taylor swift's like film career she's gonna get treated exactly the same as she is in the the music industry which is yeah like she's gonna get disrespected obviously and especially when it comes to like the 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 cinephiles (laughs) i don't know how else to say it they're obviously like they're gonna try to like pick her apart and the film apart no matter what um but it's just like funny how people are like trying to be be these like knowledgeable entities of cinema even though they don't know anything about at least the filmmaking aspects of it i don't claim to know anything about the filmmaking aspects um so obviously i'm not going to judge her on that um but it's i don't know it just it's just funny to see um and we have to also take into consideration that rodrigo's worked on multiple award-winning films he's worked with inaritu a lot um he's worked on brokeback mountain which he won a lot of awards for yeah so he 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 was a cinematographer on the irishman um and barbie so it's like he knows what he's doing uh so let him praise his friend um i'm just really really excited to see what she does honestly like i don't know if she'll be writing the film but i actually do kind of want her to just because again like if you look at something like folklore or evermore and the kind of like rich aesthetic that she was able to develop for both of those for all of her albums but specifically for those two um is really really impressive and yeah i'm really excited to see how she can transform you know maybe like some of her like musical talents regarding songwriting into this filmmaking type of uh realm i sort of spoke about tiff in the previous news i also just realized i think i spoke about taylor swift for like 10 minutes but whatever there was a lot to say um yeah uh, i i spoke a little bit about tiff at least regarding Taylor. And now I'm going to move on to the festival, talk a little bit more about the festival. So there was a lot of uh, film announcements and also they're going to be premiering some shows as well, uh, some television shows as well. And so, yeah, I'm going to just talk about some that I'm really, really excited about. It's going to be coming up soon. 
Um, I always found it weird how film festivals drop their tickets, like, I don't know, 15 days or not even 15 days, like, like two weeks before the festival actually starts. I don't know. I always felt like they should have given more time, but, um, whatever, let's get into it. So regarding TIFF, Pedro Almodovar, he is going to be premiering Strange Way of Life at TIFF. So it's going to at least be having its North American premiere at the festival. Uh, this, of course, is the short film starring Pedro Pascal and uh, Ethan Hawke. Very, very exciting project. I, I'm really excited for it because I really want to see the story that is being told, but also... Um, I'm excited to see the audience reaction to this. A lot of people that are going to be tuning into this are actually unfamiliar with Amodovar's, like, um, repertoire or, like, his films. And, uh, what was interesting is they released a poster for it. And, um, and the reason I say that a lot of people are going to be unfamiliar is because of the fact that Pedro Pascal is in it. He's gained a lot of, like, fans. And so they're going to be tuning in and they're like not familiar necessarily. Um, so yeah, just like, I guess general audiences might be tuned in more and it's not necessarily, yeah, it's not necessarily something they're going to be used to. What was interesting uh, and what I was just saying is that they released a poster for the film and it, it was campy. Uh, that like that's the best way I could describe it. And people were like, "Wow, this looks so weird," or like, "This looks odd." Like, what? Wow, this isn't like what we thought the poster would be because it's not necessarily connected to this to what the synopsis is. Um, and I'm like, "Well, have you guys watched an Almodovar like film?" <laughs> I don't know, but anyways, the point is, is that um, I'm excited to see the audience reaction at least the TIFF audience reaction. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess this also connects to the news as well, but TIFF sometimes does these in conversation with um, segments. So again, they did one for Taylor. They did one with, uh, I think, Viola Davis last year, and they released their lineup for them as well this year. And of course, Almodovar is going to be having one for him and his projects. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think that would be really interesting. I, I, whoever gets tickets for that is really going to have a great time. Um, I listened to the podcast episode that he did with Dua Lipa and the way he talks about film is really, really, um, there, there's like, it's really, there's like a, a lot of depth in the way he speaks on cinema and I really love the way he connects it to his personal life and all the yeah like everything that he's been through really really informs his films and so it's nice to see that um especially you know like you see that in the film but it's nice to hear him like talk about that and uh yeah it was just cool to see him discuss film with um, someone like Dua Lipa. I, I don't know. It, it was just a really good episode. I really, really liked it. And so, yeah, he's going to have an in-conversation with, I guess, also what is interesting about this in-conversation with is that, uh, again, since TIFF can't necessarily operate quote-unquote normally, um, they've invited a lot of, like, international um, cinema stars um, or filmmakers 
before they're in conversation with, but not even just, not even like in conversation with, I'm speaking more of like in general, in general, like a lot of the filmmakers and stars that are going to be there are going to be like Canadian or going to be um, from Asian countries or European cinema. And yeah, uh, I'm just interested to see how it all plays out for the people that are visiting TIFF. I... I don't know. I That's definitely something that I'm, like, aware of. I know a lot of Hollywood stars probably won't be there unless something happens within two weeks of the festival regarding the strike, which I, realistically, I don't think so. Um, I mean, like, I'm hoping because then that would mean, um, yeah, that would mean they're, 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 um, the, the things that they need in order to survive are being met by these studios and the the ass are being met but i don't know it's just it's just it's just crazy to me that a studio or i should say studios like neon and a24 have agreed to sags terms and then something like warner brothers and disney are just like refusing to do that and it i i have a tweet in my drafts about that like it just doesn't make sense to me um I mean, Neon and A24, they, they make money, um, you know, but they are smaller, they are smaller, like, uh, production and distribution companies and studios, so I don't know, it's just, like, really frustrating, the whole, the whole aspect of it is really frustrating, just because, like, if some, if, like, a smaller studio or, like, again, distribution company can say yes to these terms, then why can't larger ones? It just, it, I don't know, but it's, I'm happy that a lot of the A24 projects and like neon projects, etc., are continuing and are filming because of course we want actors and writers to have jobs, but also, yeah, it just, it just, it's just nice that at least there are certain projects that are uh, being worked on right now. And I hope that it gets solved soon. I, this is just so frustrating for me. I don't, I don't want to hear about it anymore. And I don't, and I don't mean that it's getting annoying. I just, I don't want to hear about it anymore because that, then that would mean their terms are being met and the terms that they're being, like, they want are met. And then I'd be like, okay, we got it. We're good. But unfortunately I like go on Twitter and I turn on the news and it's, it's still happening, which means that, you know, these studios are still being greedy, but, um, yeah, it's just also affecting like film festivals and stuff like that. So, I don't know. <laughs> Let's I, more news about TIFF. Let's continue on with TIFF. So we also got um, a first look for Finest Kind. This is actually a film that is going to be premiering at TIFF as well. So it stars Toby Wallace, Jenna Ortega, Tommy Lee Jones, and Ben Foster. Um, this is about two half brothers being played by Toby Wallace and Ben Foster. They're reunited as adults after being raised by different fathers, and. Yeah, I, I'm excited for this film, but um, when I saw that it was premiering at TIFF, I kind of got a little scared because I feel like anything that premieres at a festival with someone in it who has a really large fan base of young people is also really scary for me. Like, I, it doesn't even have to be a festival that I'm attending. Like, some, like when Dune premiered at, was it Venice? I don't even remember when it where or when it premiered, but that was like crazy for just everyone working there and like the people who live around the area. Um, was it Venice? I can't remember. But anyways, um, whatever or Cannes. I can't. It was one of those. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like probably crazy for the people that live like around those areas. 
yeah, I just like thinking of Jenna Ortega stands anywhere in a large number is like scary. But um but um yeah, I it's just it's interesting to think about. Uh I again like I don't think she'll be there regarding like with like the strike happening and stuff like that. Um but also the the premise or the plot of the film seemed really really interesting and I re- always like films when they include something of like two people reuniting um after a really long time or like after like not even knowing each other but like reuniting and yeah I'm excited to see how that plays out also be we are getting um a premiere for expats this is Lulu Wang's upcoming um television series which I'm so glad that Lulu Wang is I guess I guess we'd say yeah she's back I mean um (laughs) I I'm like a really big fan of The Farewell I feel like a lot of people are it was an incredible film I really wish that it I really wish it kind of um got more love at like during award season but anyways uh yeah so expats it is an american not american series sorry it is a television series i don't know why i said that but um yeah this is gonna be the world premiere of the series and it stars nicole kidman sarayu blue g young yu and brian t amongst many other cast members uh yeah so just follow follows oh my god it follows there we are it follows um, expats in Hong Kong um, as they navigate this kind of like tragedy and just like their lives in general. First of all, I think Nicole Kidman, I feel like I may have, no, I think I mentioned this on a different project, but I was speaking about how she's kind of like chronically employed, like she's in everything. And I kind of love that for her, but I'm excited about this just because knowing Lulu Wang is responsible for directing the series is really cool. And yeah, uh, I guess we can move on to something that is not TIFF related, but technically TIFF related because the film actually premiered at TIFF last year. Um, so it's really, it's interesting that it's taken this long to get it, um, a release date. Um, but yeah, so we got a brand new poster for Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe. This is starring Max Paleo and Reese Gonzalez. It is going to be in theater September 8th of this year go watch it um i've heard good things about it It has really good reviews regarding you know the critics that have seen it already um this of course is based on the extremely popular book of the same name which follows uh two teenage boys in the late 80s and you know um their their relationship together and how they navigate that and it's been trying to like find you know like a release date for a little while now um again it premiered last year um so it's i'm really happy that it has you know it's got this it's got this release date as for the poster um i don't claim to be a graphic designer um i do a lot of online online I do a lot of digital art, I should say, and I have designed a couple of posters that are really bad, so I'm not one to judge posters, but I just don't... It's not bad. Like, I'm not saying it's bad, but I just don't like modern movie posters. Like, I think there's something really, really, like, strange about them. Like, I I don't really know how else to say it. It's just... 
I, I like the aesthetic that they were going for with this. Like, it's Ari and Dante, and they are together, and then there's, you know, the gal a galaxy or whatever the hell behind them, and it's kind of giving that, like, old painted aesthetic. Like, at least the... I don't know, the texture of the poster. And... I don't know. It's just, they're, like, there. I like that they kind of used the um, font from the book, at least, the book title. But it, it's cute. Like, it looks cute. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just, there could have been so much potential with this. And it just, I don't know. To me, it fell flat. But uh, what do I know about graphic design and poster design? So maybe I shouldn't be saying anything. But the point is, is that I... I think there could have been something there and it just wasn't. Um, but it's also funny because there's like, it says like the title and then it's like from producer Lin-Manuel Miranda. Exactly. If that doesn't get you to watch something, I don't know what will. But anyways, <laughs> we got our first poster for it. I really hope people like show up for this movie. It's going to be in theaters September 8th. So literally less than a month away. Um, I think it's really important that we support film like this. Uh, I'm... I don't know. It's really hard for things to make money as movies nowadays unless it's, like, again, connected to IP or it's part of this, like, huge event as Barbenheimer showcased. But this is based on a pretty popular book, and I hope that um, it gets people to show up for it. And, yeah, um, a story like this is really, really important. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm excited for it, and I, I hope, I think I'll enjoy it no matter what. Let's move on. This next news actually sent me because I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Like, I I knew that it would be... <sighs> I knew that it was going to get, like... Den not denied. That's not the word I'm looking for. There's a word I'm looking for, and it is not coming to me. But it was going to... Debunked. There it is. There it is. Okay, so in an interview... um. I think it was an interview. Yeah, so Gal Gadot claimed that Wonder Woman 3 was in the works. It was in development. And yeah, she was going to be part of, I guess, the new slate of DC films and the new DC world that is being, you know, headed by James Gunn. And then a couple of days ago, um, it was confirmed that Wonder Woman 3 is not happening. And DC was basically like, DC Studios was like, you just made that up. And yeah, it was... I don't know why she would say that because I knew it was going to happen. And so Variety is basically reporting that nothing was ever promised to Gal Gadot and the character was not necessarily confirmed to be part of this new DC universe that is happening right now. And I guess I was I was like waiting for it to be debunked or like confirmed that she was lying because what? Like, uh, I don't know. I guess the point is that I knew it wasn't happening because if you're not going to continue with the stories of, for example, like Henry Cavill's Superman and Ben Affleck's Batman, like those kinds of, those, even like The Flash, and if you're not going to bring those characters back into, let's say, the yeah they're you're not bringing them into the new universe like we got a new superman we got a new lois lane which i spoke about on a previous podcast i think it was episode three or four i don't know but it's called um rachel brosnan lois lane propaganda i think that's what it's called yeah 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 so um 
I, I spoke about it and how, you know, this is going to be like kind of a fresh start for them. So why would they bring back some of the actors and not all of them? Like, it just doesn't make sense. I, I don't know why she would say that it's happening. Like, maybe it was just something that, that she, maybe she was just like, I, there's a couple of things. Maybe she was just de delusional and was like, oh yeah, it's happening. Two, maybe it's something that she really, really wanted for it to happen. Like, it just wasn't happening. Or like three, maybe like she literally thought like, oh no, I'm still part of the universe. I'm going to say it's a combination of everything because I don't know why she would confidently say that. <laughs> yeah, I honestly think it was just like something that she was like, yeah, um, it's happening. <laughs> I don't know why she would confidently say that without being confirmed. Um, but it was very obviously not going to happen. I don't know why she she would say that. Um, just because... Again, if you're not bringing back all the characters, then you shouldn't bring back one. Like, it's just not going to make sense. The intertextuality. The, let's just say that Wonder Woman 3 was happening. And they were continuing with her storyline. And then they were going to bring this into the new universe. The intertextuality of it would be so confusing. Like, watching most shared universe movies now is just really really hard for people um just because you have to watch eight million things in order to understand this one thing and that's why i think shared universes and like franchises are really really bad like for the industry as a whole like whether it be like the quality of the projects or the way consumers are supposed to consume uh these these films is really really bad i don't think it should be a thing it, so let's just say that they were going to continue with with her storyline it would be really confusing and i would have to explain to people that aren't necessarily caught up in the industry and stuff like that like why she was included in this world and why there's a new superman and it's like oh yeah no they're not continuing on that storyline about superman it's a whole new storyline but her storyline is the same it just wouldn't make sense um i wouldn't want it to be a multiverse thing which is probably what would have happened and i don't care like i don't all i'm saying is like they did the multiverse right with everything everywhere all at once if you are not that movie pack it up you do not need to make a multiverse movie we do not need it it's gonna be bad it is not gonna compare to the best picture winner uh, let's move on actually no let's not move on i basically what i'm saying is like she wanted to have fun and she lied because um yeah she wanted to have fun but anyways <laughs> yeah what that that was funny that was funny I'm going to end the news portion of this video with something that I am super, super excited about. This is a project that I'm really, really excited about just because the cast is incredible. Um, so, Rosebush Pruding, one word, it's all one word. This is Kareem Ainuz's upcoming film. So, the Brazilian director is going to be directing this. And yeah, um, the news regarding this is that it is going to begin filming in spring of next year. So we got a couple of months to go, but um, sooner than you know it, it will be here. And yeah, so it's going to be, uh, it's confirmed to start filming next year. This is going to be starring Kristen Stewart, Josh O'Connor, and Elle Fanning. Um, 
um yeah i did what i was gonna say is like this honestly like i i had to do that um because i was like thinking like what can i say about this cast this this cast is incredible um uh some vanessa lore for the audience i am a really really big person super fan like i love everything that no i don't love everything she's in a lot of the shit she's in is really bad and i think that goes for pretty much every actor <laughs> there's gonna be some like duds in there but everything she's in she is really really good in that's what i meant to say um i just love her style of acting and there's kind of like this like rawness that doesn't kind of like yeah it doesn't feel artificial in the emotion she's portraying or whatever and yeah i don't know it's just it's just really really cool to see that she's going to be working with people like Elle Fanning and Josh O'Connor in a project like this um which again really really excited about um I love Josh O'Connor um he was he was like probably one of my favorite parts about the crown and yeah I think seeing these three actors work together a really really interesting trio I don't even know if they'll have like a lot of scenes together or whatever, but I think it's a really interesting trio. So this is going to be a satire and it is following a young man who plots the murders of his family. It's a very dysfunctional family. So yeah, he's plotting the murders of his family. And I don't know, just uh, some something about that type of synopsis is really, it's doing something for me. Like, honestly, it's, it's, there's really something there. There has to be something there. I think this is going to be a really special movie. And I don't know. I, I love satires. And when satires can be pulled off really well, it just, boom, there it is. You know, like there's, yeah, yeah, there really is something there. And the synopsis is really, it's getting me more excited about the film, knowing that not only this is the synopsis, but these are the people that are going to be in the cast really really cool um i yeah i that's yeah that that that's i think all i want to say about that movie but um i also am interested in the title like i don't know why it's like one word right now but um i'm sure that'll, that'll we'll we'll get some explaining eventually we'll get some something explained to us eventually so i am done with the news of it all there's of course more shit that happened but this is just the stuff that i wanted to focus on yeah uh i really really love sharing the news just because i get i i don't know i just obviously i love film like that's not necessarily a surprise as you can tell by the title and all the stuff that i'm in and do it's just i i love sharing the news because there's so many people that aren't connected to film and yeah i i just really like being able to share that and be like here this is i don't know if you know of this but this is what's happening and we got a new poster we got a new trailer yeah whatever it's just it's just really cool and uh i'm excited to be able to just do this Honestly, like, even if it is just for fun to just be able to share this news with people. Um, actually, I lied. I'm not done with the news at all. There's also um, a new first look at Faux. So this is the upcoming ap apocalyptic um, film. It is featuring Paul Mescal and Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan, 
I, sometimes I think about her career and I'm like, she had four Oscars by the time she was like, what? I don't know what age, but she was really young, like 25, whatever, something like that. And yeah, I don't know. Paul Mescal's also this, he's not up and coming anymore. Like he is the it dude, like he is him. And um, I don't know, it just, it's really great to have Sersha back in film. Um, she's been in stuff in the past couple of years, for sure. Like, obviously, if you watch Ammonite or The French Dispatch, she's been there. Um, but she's also did, a she's done a couple of, like, theater projects um, in these past years. So, I'm excited to see her get more and more into film again. And, um, yeah, she's just a really, really special actor, and I don't think anyone can deny that. And she has so many iconic roles, like, under her belt, which is really, really cool. And yeah, so we got a first look for that film. And definitely, it's going to be something that I'm excited for. And it's going to be in theaters this year, October 6th. And we also got a trailer for Maestro. This is the upcoming Bradley Cooper film about Leonard Bernstein. I'm really excited about this film. I don't... I, I don't know. I'm not like the biggest Bradley Cooper fan. <laughs> it's it's not like I have anything against him or anything. It's just like, oh, he yeah, he's cool. He's good. Um, but the trailer does look really great. Like I'm definitely excited regarding this um film. And yeah, I can't see I can't wait to see the performances. Carrie Mulligan, whenever Carrie Mulligan is in something, you're like, oh, she's going to act her ass off. So that's definitely something I'm excited about as well. So that film is going to have a limited release November 22nd of this year, and then it's going to be released on December 20th on Netflix, which um, is unfortunate. Like, I, I I don't know. I just wish movies could be in theaters. Like, I don't, I don't want to watch something on Netflix for the first time. <laughs> so anyways, I want to probably try to, like, you know, check it out in theaters before it is in uh, or on Netflix. Now we are officially done with the new segment of this episode. What I will say is that now is the time of the episode or the part of the episode where I or we uh, discuss and rant about something in um something. No. Oh my god. I watched too too much like Last Culturistas or watch listen to too many Last Culturistas episodes. What I was going to say is like this is the part of the the episode where we discuss and rant and talk about a film or a tv show it could be something that we watched recently it could be something we love it could be one of our favorites it could be something we dislike we could focus on a specific element of the film and honestly i think the reason i almost started um my this or this part of the episode as though it was a uh, it was part of a i don't think so honey segment is because i'm actually going to be talking about Last Culturistas. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that is a podcast hosted by Matt Rogers and Bowen Yang. I love it so much. Like, I'm actually not, I'm getting more into becoming a podcast person. Um, I don't know, just the way they, they, the way they're able to capture my attention. And I'm like giggling to myself, like on the train <laughs> as I'm like listening to this podcast. It's so, it's so good. I love it. But I really, really like the way that they also interview. Um, yeah, like the way they interview guests. It's not like, oh, what do you, why are you here? And like, what are you promoting now? It's like, or it's like, what is this movie you're in? They don't do that. They like straight away talk about the project and like, how was it working with this? How was it on set? Like, they immediately dive into the 
mechanics of the film and I really, or the project that the person is working on. I really, really love that. But um, I'm not talking about the podcast, but I will be talking about it kind of like a recent episode. Um, what they discussed is what I actually do also want to discuss. So the film I'm going to be talking about is Tenet. And did you know that Tenet Backwards is still Tenet? Anyways, so... Oh my god, I'm so sorry. So this is, of course, the 2020 film by director Christopher Nolan. And it is about a CIA agent who... I should probably say that again. That sounded like I combined the words. CIA agent. And he realizes, or not realizes, he learns how to, I guess, manipulate time in order to prevent an attack from happening that would essentially, um, you know, destroy life as we know it or the world as we know it. I have so much I want to say about this film. I did not like it. Um, let's just get that out of the way. That's very, that's a very simple way to like critique film, but I did not enjoy it. I did not like it. It was so hard to understand what the hell was happening. And I like pride myself on really, really like understanding films when it comes to like the metaphors of it all and the, I guess, philosophical nature of films. I understand that. But when it comes to like the technical aspects of film, like the more techie sci-fi of it, I don't, I, I can't, I can't grasp it. Um, but so I guess that's why I wasn't necessarily uh, able to understand what was happening. But I don't think it was just me. I think the general consensus is that this film was overcomplicated for no reason. <sighs> I think I under... How, how can I say this? I understood it to a certain extent. I feel like in the moment when I was watching the film, I like knew what was happening. But now looking back on it a couple of years later, I'm like, oh wait, no, I probably didn't. Um, so... The reason I actually want to talk about this film is that I... Oh my god. So, <laughs> I know that Nolan is kind of, like, notorious for really, really liking... Or he's notorious for utilizing what his actors are saying in the moment. So, he's not really a big fan of ADR. Like, so, like, you know, going into a studio and, like, redoing your dialogue... He really likes using what was happening on set. And I really, really admire that. Like, I think it's really an interesting approach just because I don't think that happens very often. And yeah, like, it's very hard to replicate um, the way you perform something, vocally at least. And so I think that just makes sense regarding his last couple of movies, regarding the audio aspects of the film. Um... It's really hard to understand what the people are saying. The sound mixing was so awful in this film. Like, you could not hear the dialogue. It was just overtly loud, overtly messy. <laughs> I think the score or something, I think I wrote in my Letterboxd review, I'm like, this score sounds as though it is a Chromatica interlude. It's just, I don't, I don't know what he was trying to do with this film. And I think the biggest issue, I shouldn't say the biggest issue, but I think the text, the tech aspect of it, like regarding the sound is definitely like one issue that I had with this, uh, the biggest issue that I had with this film. And like Oppenheimer, like I, I like the film. Um, I'm not really a big fan of biopics, but this one, this one, this one had the T. Okay. Like this, this is a good one. I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is that Oppenheimer did the same thing that Tenet did, is that the score was really overpowering. Um, 
I think the score kind of played into the dialogue and they worked together. Whereas Tenet, like, the sound just completely took, like, took over the film. And another issue I think I have with pretty much every Christopher Nolan film that I've seen is just the way he writes women. <laughs> um, I don't know, like, even the way he, like, shoots women is just, it's just, like, really jarring. Um, and the reason I mentioned Las Culturistas, uh, like before I started talking about this is because they were talking about with their guest um yeah their guest Patrick Rogers they were talking about how they love Christopher Nolan but just like the way that he writes women is really odd and especially the way he shoots women like Elizabeth Debicki incredible she is 6'3 <laughs> but it's just it the way the way they described it is that like she he like didn't know how to shoot her and everyone was so much shorter than her like all the like her male co-stars were so much shorter than her that like they tried to make her look shorter and it just looked really weird and then <laughs> i think it was i don't remember which one of them said it, but i think it was patrick rogers he was talking about how like <laughs> she's so tall that like in the car they had her like arms out of the car like as though she it was like a clown car type thing it's like they had her like she like feet and arms out of the car because she was like so tall and it, it just really looked awkward the way he was filming her and yeah like I don't I don't know like it was just everything about that film it's like I really really I don't know I think I really like the plot actually like that like being able to like warp time in order to prevent things like that's cool it's been done before but it's cool and i really really love the visual effects um especially the whole like i don't even want to call it like um reversing you guys if you've watched the film you know what i'm talking about it's like the, the the action sequences were really really cool i i i don't know maybe at the time i didn't like them but now i know that i for sure do um it's just uh, there's just so much frustration surrounding that film for me and i feel like it's reflected also in like oppenheimer um the way he writes women it's just ugh, it kind of like it kind of just doesn't it doesn't sit right with me um <laughs> it's <laughs> i have a tweet in my drafts that is about how christopher nolan writes women and i don't know if i'm on twitter or not because like i'm gonna get jumped either way um <laughs> It's just, I don't know. It's like, there's this, like, lack of nuance. It's like, the way he, like, actually shoots them, like, physically, like, with the camera is really odd as well to me. Um, but, I, I don't know. <laughs> I still like Oppenheimer. Like, don't get it twisted. Tenet, I just, we need to rant about Tenet for a minute. Well, I have been. But it's just really odd for me to, like, sit there and be like, oh, this is the movie that people, like, risk their health for in 2020 to go see it just i don't know and i know it was technically like a financial failure because the budget was like 200 million again don't understand why movies cost so much the budget was like 200 million and only made like 356 which i don't know like a movie making 356 million is still insane to me like that's still a lot of money and it's like what if that budget was smaller uh, it just yeah i don't know um but yeah tenet not my favorite movie I have a lot. I, I I honestly do want to rewatch it, but I do remember getting really bored with it. I don't necessarily. 
I don't know. I think I did understand the film. It's just like now thinking of it, I'm like, did I? <laughs> it's like one of those films. It's like, I don't know. It's just really, really frustrating and annoying. I'm actually going to read my um, letterbox review for this film. So I watched it on February 19th, 2021. Um, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so this is what it says. I said, hate to say it, but I was falling asleep, especially during the first act. This just didn't capture my attention. First of all, why does some of the score sound like it could have been an interlude on Chromatica? I'm being 100% serious. Secondly, I'm a no Nolan anti, but this gave me a damn headache. I honestly wasn't confused about all the time elements in this. Actually, I was just confused about the dialogue because it spent so much time telling instead of showing. Words upon words upon words upon words. Saying so much and doing so little. I really loved all the Robert Pattinson and JWD scenes because they had- Whoa, sorry. Because they had very good chemistry. However, their characters were still boring, just like the rest of the movie. Also, why was Elizabeth Debicki literally playing her character from The Night Manager? Was that intentional? Did Nolan just rip off that part of her characterization? Am I missing something? Anyways, so that was my uh, review of the film. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, th I think I still feel the same way. Like, I, some of the time things I think were a little bit easy for me to understand, but everything else is just like, like the dialogue for sure. Another aspect of the film that I kind of hated. But um, let's move on to some more positive things. Well, um. This is, I guess, coming to an end, this episode. Um, there's a couple of films in theaters this weekend. I don't really care about any of them, except for this one. So, Mutt is in theaters this weekend. Uh, yeah, this is a really... I I'm excited. Um, it's definitely like an indie film, so you may have to go out of your way to find it at a specific theater in your city. Um, so yeah, it's directed, written, and produced by Vuk Lungalov Klotz. I hope I am pronouncing that name correctly. Uh, but yeah, this is his feature directorial debut. It premiered at Sundance this year, actually. To summarize it really, really quickly, um, it is about a trans man who, over the course of a day, he um, reconnects with his father, his ex-boyfriend, and his younger half-sister. Again, it has great reviews, um, and so I'm gonna try to, like, find a theater in my city that is playing it. And yeah, so Mutt is in theaters. Thanks for listening. Um, I really hope that you, yeah, maybe, like, check out some of the films that I mentioned. Even if you haven't watched Tenet, I think it's worth a watch, but I, I mean, I don't necessarily like it. Um, but yeah, anyways, I, I, I appreciate anyone who's, like, subscribed or followed or downloaded an episode um i'm gonna try to have a guest on for next week what else can i say what else can i say oh that this is what you could do you can follow me on twitter instagram and letterbox at vanessa on films you can subscribe to this podcast and uh yeah i appreciate any support um i'm gonna have a lot of i'm having like a lot of like writing projects happening right now um but uh yeah i look forward to uh sharing them with you um i should probably start you know sharing some of my uh projects on this on this podcast but anyways i'm really really excited for all the festivals that haven't happened yet i'm excited for a lot of the films that i mentioned um maestro i, I think it's gonna be an incredible film i hope it is the trailer just looks really good Faux is another film I'm really excited about. Um, Rosebush Pruning, 
super excited for that. And so, yeah, uh, thanks for watching. Bye. Watching. Listening. Oh my god. Bye.